Greetings from Longtime No See, the podcast. Every week, we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my God, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. Hello, and welcome to The Spark Parade, a show where I talk to amazing people about the art and culture that's shaped their lives. I'm Adam Ons. Thanks so much for joining me. Coming up on today's show, you'll hear my super fun chat with my pal, Ali Silva, who is also the co-creator of Fireside Mystery Theater, which comes into media, a live radio show, which, for obvious reasons, is on hiatus right now, and a podcast. Both feature spooky stories told by a crew of very talented people, including Allie herself. Our conversation focused on Allie's love for actor and fellow radio drama legend Agnes Moorhead, as well as playwright to end all playwrights William Shakespeare. It's gonna be great, kids. Just you wait and see. But before we get to that chat sesh... I want to talk to you a little bit about expanding the boundaries of your taste in art. We've all got a lot of time on our hands right now. A lot of us are going a little insane as well. If you're not used to spending a lot of time indoors, you're probably already going a little bit stir-crazy. The bad news is, this is going to be our lives for a while. The good news is, you've got so much art and entertainment to fill that time. I've always had quite eclectic tastes in art, so I get a kick out of branching out into new stuff that may not seem to be in my wheelhouse at first glance. As I've mentioned countless times, my artistic foundation came from my family, but I've been incredibly lucky to spend the majority of my adult life in London and New York, two of the most culturally diverse places on earth. I've been turned on to so many amazing kinds of music and film and theater and blah 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 etc by the incredible people I've met in those two great cities. Each time my horizons have been expanded artistically, I've felt more in touch with the world around me and, as cheesy as it sounds, with the breadth and depth of the human experience. So what's the point of all this, Adam? Patience, my pet, I was getting there. The point is... I challenge you to use this time of diminished outdoor options to push your boundaries too. The great thing about the internet is that you don't have to live in a big city to get the best of what the world has to offer. You just have to turn on your computer or look at your phone and do a little digging. And my little challenge is also a great way to stay connected with the people you love, even though you can't be with them right now. Ask your friends and family to recommend a book or a movie or any kind of art that falls outside of your usual taste. And then your job is to eat that shit up. Maybe you'll hate it. Maybe you'll be surprised. And if you do hate it, don't give up. Ask someone else and keep going until you find something that really excites you. This new reality sucks for everyone. And we're going to really have to work at keeping ourselves from getting bored. So lean on your loved ones. And if you can video chat with them or just call them and experience their art recommendations with them, that's even better. In summary, stay connected and don't let yourself get bored. Sound like a plan? Of course it does. I give the best advice. You should know that by now. Anyway, time to mosey on over to my lovely chat with Ali Silva about Agnes Moorhead and William Shakespeare. Uh, so... 
perhaps we should start with uh, Agnes Moorhead. Agnes Moorhead. Now, where did you first come upon her work? What was it? Film stuff or bewitched? Perhaps? Well, I think for those of us, at least of my generation, seeing bewitched, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in reruns. Sure, that's how I knew of Agnes Moorhead. I love, always loved her hair and what she wore. But how I was really exposed to Agnes Moorhead was um, through her radio theater. She was part of the Mercury yes. Theater Company with yeah. with Orson Welles. And when we first started Fireside Mystery Theater, we were cover band. Mm-hmm. Essentially, we were sourcing. That's how we cut our teeth. We we sourced scripts from old suspense radio theater plays mm. programs. And Agnes Moorhead was the one of the queens, yeah. but definitely a queen of that. Even though she was not in the film version of Sorry, Wrong Number. Mm. Apparently, I'm not sure if it's just something that she said, but but uh, she said that they played her recording on the set because <laughs> uh, I think Barbara Stanwyck uh, got the, mm-hmm. the part in the in the film. But we yeah, as a cover band, I was listening to those old radio dramas. It inspired what then became our body of of original work. But that's how we learned mm-hmm. most of our. So we have a, a, a full live show that's about two hours, but it's broken up into four plays. Sometimes right. they're inter- interconnected, but all about. 20, 25, 30 minutes each. And if you listen to an episode of Suspense, it's all very compact, but it's they they drive you to a point of feeling, oh, what's going on? And then Roma Wines has sponsored this episode of Suspense. <laughs> I loved Agnes Moorhead because, first of all, she was performing the Lucille Fletcher pieces that I I thought, oh, yeah, I like these. Yes, they're, they're of a time. Mm-hmm. They're a bit dated in terms of how women live in in a modern age. They, you know, there's perhaps a little bit of misogyny or you know the the roles of women. If you're unmarried, you are you are a spinster. Mm-hmm. Uh, being married as a woman is something that is important. But that's also you know a period of of time. Right. That doesn't make the Claire Booth loose play the women any less exciting and fun Mm -hmm. um, as a play even though it is it doesn't pass the Bechdel test (laughs) to be sure Um, and maybe not necessarily like partially a product of its time but also more specifically a product of the way um, women operated in that time and the way that women were uh, portrayed in uh, popular culture yeah that even if that wasn't the kind of life that all women were leading, that was the image that was widely used for women. Yes. Um, in, you know, radio dramas and film and stage productions, whatever entertainment people were experiencing. Well, and let's think about how the 40s, post-war, women had been working during the war. So the role of women was definitely in flux. Mm-hmm. Many women were not happy just to go back go right back to work. And then in the, the 50s, you have, I guess, this image of mother um, mm-hmm. who stays at home and takes care of the kids and is has dinner waiting for her, her husband. And But for me, Agnes Moorhead, 
And she played a lot of spinsters. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you look at a breakdown of of characters that she played, a lot of times it said it would say the spinster or the aunt or the mom or the you know. For me, she is an actor at a time where if you're going to be successful, you're going to be the ingenue. You're going to be mm. the um, if not the ingenue, the plucky ingenue, mm-hmm. the Catherine Hepburn, the Barbara Stanwyck, the. Mm-hmm. But she didn't look or sound that way. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I, I guess I, I, I feel that her, I, I feel a kinship with not necessarily looking or sounding a way that is easy to market mm-hmm. myself as an actor. Mm. That's something that I've always had difficulty with. I just was inspired by her being completely unafraid of, of playing super neurotic character so as a cover band we did sorry wrong number <laughs> which was uh agnes's big thing mm-hmm. uh, or one one of her many and i loved it i loved it i it was exhausting but thrilling to be do you know do you know have you listened to so- sorry wrong number no but basically mm-hmm. the 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 story is um it is heard on the telephone Mm-hmm. Um, the character that Agnes Moorhead plays, she is a, an invalid, self-described invalid. Uh, her, she's trying to contact her husband at work at the office, um, but she's not able to get through. And so she's talking to the operator, trying to get through. What? Ha- I don't know. Do I spoil it? I don't want to spoil it for you, but it's been around for a long time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she uh, ends up being connected on t- uh, to this phone call of two men talking about killing someone, mm. their plans to kill someone. And so she then increasingly gets freaked out and is trying to let somebody know, call the cops, still unable to get a hold of her husband. And as this person confined to her bed, she just gets more and more freaked out. And as it turns out, she is the victim that these two men are talking about that she overheard mm. but it's this this i, I don't know it, it is this volcano of neurosis and and emotion and fear and defiance uh that this one woman was able to put all of that into this 25 minute performance mm-hmm. and with just being her voice engaging and be engaging mm-hmm. And to to draw you in, yes, just with her voice. Yeah, and th- this kind of goes back to what we were what we were talking about uh, before in in the pre chat, <laughs> um, just about having this kind of audio oral uh, landscape, this picture painting an audio picture, right? With uh, radio drama dramas, generally, that's you know the the, the idea, but successful ones, the best ones having you know if there are hints of soundtrack or sounds effects they're mm. enhancing what's going on and it's really just about these talented actors being able to convey um to, to make you feel like you can see what's going on even though you're just hearing it that's a very technical thing yeah it's just like shakespeare can be very technical um i know shakespeare is my my other love that we can talk about but um there's something very technical about performing for audio, for the radio. Any pauses need to be earned. Mm-hmm. Pacing is 
incredibly important. Yeah. You have to think about how your voice is in somebody's head, in somebody's ear. They're not being distracted by a visual. You're creating the visual through the mind's ear. Mm -hmm. And anything, you know, like with pauses, actors who are on stage or screen, if they're being a bit self-indulgent with... If they are over emoting, it whatever. comes across, it, and it it can it's part of yeah. You don't you buy know, it an audiovisual package, yeah. And so <laughs> the their facial expressions, their movements, the atmosphere of the the room around them, whatever, all of those things contribute to this world that's being built. So they aren't just relying on one element to to um, make sure that that message is heard. There's and, something a bit naked about performing just with your voice but it's also empowering and enabling it enables you well it enables me to play an old lady a little boy i get to play the ingenue with fireside mystery theater that's been part of the great fun i i tend to do the little boys the old ladies not all of the neurotic characters but many of them (laughs) yeah that's what is for me i found what I enjoyed what listening to Agnes Moorhead. My love for radio, theater, audio, drama really began when I was in drama school. And I was living in England. BBC Radio 4 has been keeping radio drama alive, where in you know, the, the U.S. we had Prairie Home Companion, and that was pretty much it. Right. And I remember thinking, wait a second, I really like this. This is something that <laughs> I I feel... I don't have to feel constrained by my physicality. Mm -hmm. Um, I can be a lot freer and as versatile as I would like to be or or aspire to be with my voice Mm -hmm. and not be um, constrained by how I look coupled with how I I sound. So yeah, Agnes, um, she's certainly an idol for me. And and uh, her work was something that I could learn from as we were learning and creating our own more contemporary but uh, inspired mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. So were you aware of those radio dramas before you started working on your own show? Or was it like in the process of doing cut the gestation period for the idea I, of your show you you started kind of looking more into it or was it both? I was aware but I dived deeper mm-hmm. into it and really listened to there are a lot of Ray Bradbury's mm-hmm. amazing mm-hmm. Uh, writer there are a lot of adaptations of his works with the show uh, specifically suspense but my my partner Gus he is kind of this prolific encyclopedia of music and pop culture and and also radio drama. That's how we got started. We had a conversation at a friend's birthday party and I was talking about how I really, as an actor, I was feeling, um, I was bartending more than mm-hmm. I was auditioning. Right. And, uh, and that was becoming a very tired acting gig. Mm-hmm. As, you know, again, sorry to uh, reference all pre-chat discussion uh, yeah. <laughs> that uh, the audience is not going to be a party to but yeah you know new york like, yeah that's uh y- y- you want to be you're working to pay here. your rent yeah to be able to stay here but then you're focusing so hard 
on being able to afford to stay here that mm -hmm. you're losing touch with the reason why you're here in the first place. Right. Yeah, so Gus and I really connected and when we our first performance was on the eve of Halloween 2011. Mm -hmm. And it was me, a microphone sitting in front of a crackling fireplace. Mm -hmm. And I read ghost stories, basically. Yeah. I read um, spooky stories. Guy de Maupassant, excerpts from Dracula, mm -hmm. uh, some, you know, old Grand Guignol writings, uh, Flannery O'Connor, mm -hmm. uh, Shirley Jackson. Right. And it grew from there. Mm -hmm. It started as just a need to use my voice and yeah. perform yeah, and yeah. play and yeah. entertain people with fantastic stories. Mm. And then I wanted to play with others. <laughs> yes. So that's when we brought on other actors and then it progressed into, again, as I said, we were a cover band. So we we performed some of these fantastic uh, plays from Suspense. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Wrong Number being one of them. Um, the Diary of Sophronia Winters. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, a couple of Ray Bradbury pieces that I'm blanking on the names right now. But that gave us the confidence that we could write our own stuff. Mm -hmm. And Gus has a background as a writer. Uh, as I mentioned in our pre-show chat, he is quite a Renaissance man himself. Mm -hmm. He writes and he is a musician. Um, he's uh, been a filmmaker as well. Uh, but playing with those older, well, older, those texts, mid-century mm -hmm. uh, texts that really gave us a structure and mm -hmm. a foundation that we could then feel confident saying we could do this so let's try this out we've and that's where it began yeah and we have been creating original content ever since amazing and you know having this catalog of older recordings to be inspired not, by? be inspired by yeah i was gonna say rely on but not not that uh seeing what's possible seeing what people are doing you know people who were involved in some of the most exciting projects in the world, you know, speaking specifically about Agnes Moorhead's work with Orson Welles. And, you know, she eventually yeah. made films with him too. And um, she played his mother in Citizen Kane. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but and she yeah, was probably a, not that much older than he. Yeah. I think um, seven, seven years older. Well, like that. Yeah, really? So, yeah. Still yeah. not old enough to be his mother. No. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think what the what listening to those now classics, mm -hmm. what is now old time radio <laughs> theater, listening to that gave us a a structure and foundation and learning how to use audio mm -hmm. to tell a story, not just using our voices, but using music, using sound effects, creating an audio landscape like we said, painting a picture mm -hmm. with audio. There are all of those pieces that can be moved around. I mean, the puzzle, the 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 picture on the puzzle can be shaped any different way. Mm -hmm. um, it's just about, about moving around the pieces and the story is different. Yeah. But all those elements go into making that. Mm -hmm. It's using the microphone as an actor. Um, when you're having an intimate scene mm -hmm. and using that 
quiet or that silence or that quality in your voice. But then if you're pretending that you're outside, you know, when you're talking to somebody outside on the street, you don't talk like this. Mm -hmm. You talk like you want them to hear you. There's there's a, a as I mentioned, it's a technical mm-hmm. type of art. There is technique involved in making it work well. Yeah. Uh, and that what it, that is one of the things that is just endlessly fascinating to me. Continually uh, a learning process for me. Mm-hmm. Even though I've been doing this now in our way, uh, in our live show way of creating content. Even though I've been doing it now for a few years, there's, I'm still always learning how to be better at mm-hmm. doing it. I think if you're an actor who ever thinks that you know all that there is to know, <laughs> yeah. then there's something wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you just yeah. need to be slapped, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, in the interest of time, yes. uh, speaking of inspiration, there's this writer. Uh, oh, some he's, guy. Some guy. Yeah. Right? Um, not very well known, William Shakespeare. Um, That's his name. The, now, again, do you have some kind of, uh, like, when when people are really, uh, when my guests want to talk about really, really, really famous people, if it's someone like Beyonce, I can say, you know, I, I don't know if you can even remember uh, pinpointing a time when you discovered her because she's she's everywhere and mm. whatever. But it's still possible. And she's, you know, for people like my age, like I was alive before she was born. So I, I know, <laughs> I remember her you coming remember into the public consciousness. You remember your discovery of her, right. Uh, William Shakespeare is someone who obviously was long dead before either of us were born. Mm-hmm. And his impact on theater, on film, on all different kinds of culture, the cultural, the entire cultural landscape, language, exactly, is so enormous that I can't imagine you would be able to say, yes, I can pinpoint the moment when I first discovered Shakespeare. But maybe as a slightly less direct entry point, do you remember a period of your life where you felt like you first really started to understand and appreciate Shakespeare or tell you tell me, I always ask <laughs> these leading questions that there's, there's no need. You understand the information I'm looking for. Well, um, I think like most American kids, uh, in school, mm-hmm. uh, was one of my first exposures to, to Shakespeare. Shakespeare, I think, um, I feel was in my blood and subconscious before I can necessarily say, this is when I discovered Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. My grandfather was an actor All right. and lover of Shakespeare. And unfortunately, because of a number of reasons, wasn't able, after having a family, wasn't able to pursue his his career as an actor, but would film himself performing soliloquies and monologues and studied the dictionary and, and would um, tell, you know, put his kids to bed at night with uh, with a sonnet. So I think it was, was in my DNA before I had the love affair, I mm-hmm. suppose. I had an appreciation reading Shakespeare mm-hmm. um, because I found the stories interesting. I found the language fascinating. 
But my love affair began when I was performing Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. I think that's really the way to truly understand Shakespeare is to perform it. Mm-hmm. It was written to be performed. Yeah. It wasn't written to be read, but, you know, I, not to discount countless scholars who read it and study it and, and comment and have very scholarly opinions mm-hmm. uh, about the meaning of his language, the, the meaning of his stories. It was, for me, it was playing him. It was having those words in my mouth it was feeling the rhythm of the verse it was at drama school mm-hmm. you know again being in england at drama school is when i it was a conservatory so i was really able to focus and spend mm-hmm. all of my time and energy however limited it was but energy on being an actor and mm. and, and learning and soaking in and discovering the virtues of the first folio reading shakespeare from, I mean, these were actually the actors, two of the actors from his company who put together the first folio from cue scripts, scripts that were written. I mean, these actors would often not have read the entire play. They just read their parts, but they had their their cue lines before their bit of speech. And so the story was discovered alive. I mean, I could go into, you know, how... Um, Shakespeare was performed in his day, but um, I found it just so fascinating and and challenging, Mm -hmm. challenging to not just understand the language in a way that you can speak the words and know what you're saying, know what you're saying enough to be able to convey to an audience what you are saying and what you are what you are doing, but the technique Mm -hmm. to it. I think that's also why I love radio theater audio mm-hmm. drama because there is a technical aspect to it right the verse is th- written in a way to allow an actor to understand what their character is feeling you also don't act before a line you act on a line the mm-hmm. punctuation is configured in a certain way to convey an understanding of the text and to me that just when i learned that it blew my mind, made me more fascinated. I dug into books, Shakespeare's body, where certain phrases, there are double entendre, there are double meanings to a lot of things that Shakespeare's characters say. And I wanted Mm. to know what they meant Mm -hmm. rather than just thinking, oh, these are lovely words. Mm -hmm. I wanted to understand more Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to play it well. Mm -hmm. There are limitations um, to female characters in Shakespeare. But now we're in an age where women are playing just at the Globe. A woman was playing Henry V mm-hmm. last summer. That's fantastic. Yeah. You know, maybe there's still a chance for me to play Hamlet. <laughs> I would. I would absolutely adore that. Yeah. Was there a time when Shakespeare came alive for me? It was when I was playing him. Mm-hmm. That's when he... That's when he came alive. Yeah. I always had a respect and a love, but I think truly to to have an appreciation and to grow a love is to perform mm-hmm. his words. And I think in drama schools generally, but especially in British drama schools, but especially English ones, Shakespeare is taught as the foundation upon which all other acting is built, all other modern acting is built. 
Um, and even if you have... Came long before the method. Right. There's right. no method in Shakespeare. Right. Yeah, there's no... Maybe subtext, but you don't play subtext. Subtext mm -hmm. is written there. You act on the line. Mm -hmm. Certainly there are plenty of examples of to be... Or not to be. I mean, there's, you know, there are, there are plenty of actors who try to methodize right. Shakespeare. But that takes away the excitement, in my opinion. Takes yeah. away the excitement that is written into the verse. There is music there that, just like a song, you don't want to break up the rhythm of a song by just putting an extended pause or, or, you know, keeping a note going for no reason other than it's allowing you to then work up to the next bar or whatever. The, this, the music in Shakespeare is written for you. Yeah. The comedy is written for you. If, as long as you can understand it in a way that you can make your audience understand it, that's it. You've performed Shakespeare. Yeah. And in, in some ways, it's, there is this specificity. There is something you have to have a deep understanding of the history behind it of the way the language is written the way uh the rhythm of it and also but it's simple enough you understand what a midline ending is you understand what um uh you know the what iambic pentameter is mm -hmm, mm -hmm. then you're halfway there right anyone can really perform shakespeare uh it's just having a little bit of understanding and respect for how it was written mm -hmm. in that way with all those cues for the actor. Right. All those cues are there. If you understand how to decipher that, you've you can perform Shakespeare. It's right. it's not it's not an elitist thing. Yeah. And that's I think the the most amazing thing is that it's these pieces that are hundreds and hundreds of years old that still if you have the tools or are at least have a guide, have people who are willing mm -hmm. to help you to understand how to access the language the stories themselves are so ingrained in in all of us uh, they're such a huge part of just, global culture they're about they're, being you know, human and uh, you know a lot of those stories come from even sources that are even further back but the the versatility that uh, exists in those stories, the you know num the vast vast number of interpretations of this, and that is also so human, isn't it? Yeah. How, but I think that's that's true of any great art, is that we as humans will look at it in so many different ways. Shakespeare has been done and redone and reshaped and reformed because. It has been around for centuries. His work has been around for centuries. Mm. And each century, each era, each generation. I mean, what better what better way to to understand great art is to make it your own? What better way to appreciate get great art than to want to make it your own? Mm -hmm. And also the flip side of that, I think, because not everyone is a performer. Not everyone has the ability to act or the desire to act. Mm -hmm. Taking on the responsibility when you're performing work like this to share that joy. Make with, it accessible. And, and to convey what you feel to the audience that you're, you're playing to so that these now ancient traditions of watching... Um, these stories be performed, we, you know, there's, there's no risk of the, that, that, 
that tradition stopping, partially because of the stories themselves and how universal the themes are and how recognizable they are, but also because there are so many actors who come up through their training or just through their love of the theater really engaging with this work and wanting to share it with other people and wanting to give their own interpretation to the world. Um, That's a gift, I think, to the actor and a gift to the audience to have that connection, to make that connection. Where yeah. You know, we as actors, um, we can certainly be a bit egocentric, <laughs> um, where we oftentimes when we feel, oh, that was... I, didn't do as well as I I really I missed this moment I could have done this I could have done that oftentimes when you're feeling a shit about your performance is when somebody will come up to you and say I really felt that that was that was so someone else felt the connection someone else felt the connection (laughs) yeah we can't be precious about it Shakespeare is all of ours Mm -hmm. and it's just like any art it should be shared and how better to share it than to be if you, as an actor, spend your time on trying to understand, learning the the work. I love I love the verse nursing. I love going mm. through the verse and finding that, you know, there's a reason why that syllable is on the stress. Mm-hmm. There's a stress on that syllable for a reason. Right. Uh, there's a reason why there is a midline ending and you're going straight into the next thought. Shakespeare is telling you how to how to perform it and if you can do that successfully as an actor or you know at least feel like you're getting you know you've done the work mm-hmm. um you've you know you've built all you have all of your tools you leave the toolbox uh, you know outside uh in the the backstage of the theater and then you trust that the 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 text the story all the work that you've put into it is going to touch someone Mm. in the audience in any way in Mm. you know a way that makes them laugh or a way that makes them think oh you know what i didn't i never i read this but i never made that connection before or i did not realize that character was so funny or (laughs) that was a sex joke i never got that before right Um, right right. that's what's so fun yeah about him yeah there's always something new to discover (laughs) about shakespeare (laughs) um I feel um, like anybody who really loves Shakespeare would feel like, oh my God, that's all you, you're gonna, that, that's the whole overview. But um, I feel like that was a good. Well, I mean, where to begin yeah. and where to end. You could, right. we could, this podcast could go on for hours. Yeah. But and I I'm think not, this was know, a. And I'm just one person i'm just one lover lover of shakespeare i'm just one actor who has uh performed shakespeare and loves to perform shakespeare i think what i will say is i'll make the connection between shakespeare and uh audio drama radio Mm -hmm. theater um is the technicality the that there is technique to it it doesn't diminish the truth Uh, i think as actors we're always looking to be truthful in our performances we uh, want to be clear about our intentions having to be technical having to uh, understand technically how to work with a microphone mm-hmm. is to me similar to understanding how to technically work with verse right and like ha- having rules doesn't remove the fun 
it, it doesn't just, and it you know, doesn't remove the truth it doesn't remove how deeply you may feel those emotions you know but it's sometimes rules are helpful sometimes rules are lovely to know and then break but yeah i, th- I think um i guess i lost my my connective thread there no but, no yes, but i mean shakespeare yeah. and radio theater i mean yeah, those are my just, two loves yeah the the technical elements and having to have that foundation of even just it doesn't have to be expertise but you have to have a, a fundamental understanding of what goes into creating the right conditions mm. that allow you to convey your message to share the story that you're trying to tell and to do it well to- and ultimately it's about the audience yeah how does the audience feel how is it received by the audience because you can think oh well you know i was deep into this sense memory and and you know really diving deep into this but okay so but how did the audience feel yeah. <laughs> did the, did the yeah. audience feel that connection if so then great wonderful yeah. but ultimately the the goal whether i i feel personally in any um kind of performance is how does your audience feel right is your audience connected and if if i think oh well i I really was not as specific as I wanted to be in that moment, in that choice. doesn't matter what you feel. Yeah. How did, did the audience get it? And would they have been able to see it either way? And, right. you know, thinking about the bigger picture and right. a lot of things go into a great performance, whether it's on stage or in a radio play and ha- having all of that technical stuff down so that you know these are the ideal conditions for creating the kind of story that I want to tell. And, and you can let it all go. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I think, I mean, for me, ultimately, as an actor, even though, like I mentioned, we can be incredibly egocentric, and that is probably putting it very mildly. The thing that I always have to remind myself is that it's not about me. It's not about how I feel. It's about how the audience feels. Yeah. And I think uh, that's that's the whole thing, being a little selfless, thinking outside of yourself and trying to make other people happy. Yes, well, that is a story of my life for another podcast episode. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, well, I am very satisfied. This was a lovely, Wonderful. lovely chat. Well, thank you for talking um, to me. Thank you for talking to me. Um, so if uh, people listening to this want to know when your episodes are coming out, uh, how to find out about the live shows, find out what's going on with you. What is the best way to do that? Well, let me tell you, Adam. (laughs) Um, We are Fireside Mystery Theater, Mm -hmm. a podcast, an audio drama podcast recorded live. You can find it anywhere and everywhere that one finds the podcasts. Typically, our podcasts are released on a Sunday. I also do the post-production um, and sometimes I am bad with deadlines. So, uh, um, but as this year is, is picking up and I'm trying to pick up momentum with post-production, we try to have a weekly release. Our content is recorded live as a live show. Hmm. So if anyone's in the New York City area, they can come see a live show. We tape our podcast live once a month at the Slipper Room in Manhattan's Lower East Side. Mm. Um, Typically, the 
typically the last Sunday of every month. But our website is firesidemysterytheater.com. We've got all of our dates there with links to tickets. Yeah, the live show is is fun, but it's also interesting to hear it in podcast form. Each live show consists of basically four episodes for yeah. the podcast. Great. Yeah. Amazing. Um, well, thank you very much again. This was thank so much fun. Thank you for having me. All right. Bye. What a sweetheart. What an icon. What an amazing person. Thanks again to Allie for making time for me. Listen to the Fireside Mystery Theater podcasts right after you're done with this one. I guarantee they'll take your mind off of our zombie apocalypse reality. Okay. Recommendations. Firstly, comedian and Spark Parade favorite which means my favorite, because there ain't nobody else here, Maria Bamford has released a new comedy special called Weakness is the Brand. I was lucky enough to catch her when she was touring this show, and it is funny as fuck. It's exactly what we all need right now. And even if you saw her on tour like me, the recorded version is different, so you should still watch it. And you can rent it for 99 cents. 99 cents. You can't get anything for 99 cents these days, folks. Believe me, I have tried. And then I would like to draw your attention to 14 Poems. It's a London-based poetry journal that features the best new queer poets. You should check out their Instagram for a little bite-sized tastes of what's on offer. And lastly, I... I really like the new Weekend video, guys. And I kind of like the song, too. I'm not a huge fan of his music, generally, but the video for In Your Eyes is great. It's like an 80s horror movie, so be warned if you don't like scary or gory stuff, but you should check it out if you do. And that's it. Please remember to follow me on social media at Spark Parade. Rate and review the show, too, please. It only takes a minute, and I know you've got the time now, babes. Other than that, stay home. Take care of yourself and wash your motherfucking hands. Until next time, bye.